My friend Mark Stowers would say he's gooder than taters. He keeps on getting gooder and gooder. I love it. It's uh, beautiful outside. It's beautiful inside. It's be wonderful to see your beautiful faces. And week in and week out, I was telling the team downstairs, it's amazing to see almost a different crowd every week of different folks that are visiting, coming in, trying us out, uh, different ones working different shifts, those that uh, have been diagnosed with certain ailments that keeps them away, COVID, uh, voxers, non-voxers, maskers, no maskers. We just have a plethora of people that uh, it's almost literally a different crowd every week, and it's good to see faces and to get back in um, to church together. Don't know where you stand on any issues, but one thing I know that I'm going to do is keep preaching Jesus. Um, have you ever felt like that the harder you try, the worse things get? Has anybody been there in life? Am I the only one that could raise my hand and say that, that sometimes the harder you try with their different things, the, the worse that things get? Uh, the Message Bible says in Romans that a lot of times when we start feeling guilty, we will redouble our efforts. In other words, we haven't prayed enough, and we've heard messages that we need to pray every day, right? So we pray. We try to pray more. We, we, we read our Bibles every day. You know, I grew up under a message that said that if you don't read, pray, witness, and obey every day, you're backslidden. Can I tell you that doesn't work in some areas of the world where they don't have a copy of the Scriptures? Does that make sense? We tell people that they have to read their Bible every day or they're backslidden or they're not going to make it. But then we've got, see, if the gospel you preach doesn't translate across the world, it's not the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow. I strive to be better. I want to read my Bible, but reading my Bible doesn't get me anything from God. It gives me more knowledge if I begin to comprehend and ask wisdom and understanding about it. But praying and reading don't make you a Christian. It may make you a better one <laughs> if you'll stay faithful to it. But those things aren't what makes life better. I want to, I want to really enjoy life. And over the last several months I've been trying to encourage you uh, that there is a freedom and a life-giving message in the relationship that you can have and that Jesus wants to have with you. It's real. Amen. It's not a fairy tale. It's not something that's pie in the sky and something that you can't obtain and that you won't have unless you have certain possessions or a certain social status or you have too many likes on Instagram. That's not how you enjoy life. But you can enjoy life. And so what I'm going to be consistent in trying to do is to tell you, if you have believed, you have secured your place in the afterlife. Can I get an amen? amen. What people are doing now is they they're end up living in hell on earth. And so we need to try to get them out of the hell and earth that they're uh, living in so that they can have a little bit of heaven to go to heaven in. What's that? That's called the abundant life. And Jesus said, I came to give you life and that more abundantly. Life includes eternal life. After you die, that is a reality, but it includes abundant life, which is the quality of life that you can have on your way to heaven. How many of you know folks that aren't enjoying life? 
Maybe you can point at yourself and say, I'm not enjoying life. Well, this morning, I want to help to inspire you. Spark something inside of you to let you know that Jesus really is better. You can amen every time, anytime you want. Go to Hebrews, the 10th chapter with me. If you want to give Hebrews a nickname, it's the better, it is the better book. The book of Hebrews is the better book. It talks about so many things that we will look at this morning that are better. But chapter 10, verse 20, says that there is a new or a better and living way that Christ has made available for us. The, uh, in the natural, when Christ died, the veil that was in the temple that separated the outer courts from the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could go in to the Holy of Holies to make atonement for sin. No one else had access to God, and only the high priest had access to him once a year, and he had to go through all kinds of rituals and rigmaroles and washings and ceremonies. We're going to talk about that in just a second. But that curtain tore when Jesus was on the cross, top to bottom, to expose what was really going on behind the curtain. It's like the Wizard of Oz. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Because... If you will read and you will study, from the time of Jeremiah, the Ark of the Covenant was, had been missing. There was not even an ark behind the veil for them to place the blood of the Lamb for the sins of the people on. They were faking it. God exposed that. And Hebrews 10 says that He was torn in His flesh to give us access to the Father. See, the people under the Old Covenant had no access to the Father except through the high priest. But now because Jesus was torn like that veil was torn, we have access to the Father. Isn't that good news? See, religious jargons and Christian cliches and double talk have robbed the church of her joy for too many years. I mean, people uh, use Christianese. And they use slogans and jargons. And I'm not trying to downplay or diminish that. I think there's times that, we, you know, I remember when preaching and uh, there's more in 2004. And I've, I've used slogans and jargons. I'm not trying to say that there's nothing wrong with that. But if we only go by religious jargon and Christian crusades and double talk, we're robbing people of joy that they cannot experience when they can have a better relationship with Jesus. And you can enjoy life. I, think about this for a second. Do a scan on Facebook. Go, th go through Facebook and just scan through there and read posts, look at sermons that people have posted, uh, listen to their religious uh, position, and watch videos, listen to sermons. They almost always are giving you a formula that if you do A, B, and C, you'll have joy. Or, I'll go a step further, if you do this, God will bless you, but if you don't do this, God's going to curse you. And salvation is free, but the formula to keep that salvation is X, Y, and Z. And so there's all these formulas and rituals that you've got to do to get saved and stay saved, and not only that, to avoid sin and have joy. But I want to help, like I said, spark this fresh awe, this amazement of Jesus inside of you. So, I want you to leave here this morning mesmerized. 
of the wonder and the beauty of the Son of God. And that you'll recognize that because of the beauty of what Jesus has done and who He is, has forever, somebody say forever, wiped out the spell that sin had on you. So my concern then is that for years we've preached too much about people's behavior. I'm not a psychologist, um, and I don't want to be, and so my sermon shouldn't be such. I do know that when you come to the realization that Jesus is better, and that everything you have from Him that He has given to you, it says, the Scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above, who, within whom there is no turning. He doesn't turn His back on you. It also says in Ephesians that all, that, every, uh, that all spiritual blessings have been given to you. They're already yours. They're at your uh, uh, access. You can access them through uh, the relationship that you have with Jesus. But my, my problem and my concern is that we've had so much preaching about sin and behavior modification that we've left out talking about Jesus. I, I hear sermon after sermon preached. And 45 minutes of all the things that you're doing wrong and that you're doing bad and that you shouldn't be doing and that you should do and then five minutes at the end of the sermon how God can turn that around for you. I want to preach 45 minutes about how good God is and how faithful that the Father has been to us. So my question is, when did Jesus stop being enough? Hmm. When did we start having to add all of our human elements and our human inventions and our man-made religion to God. See, great theology, perfect theology, is Jesus plus nothing. <laughs> See, mo here's what most preaching, I wish I had a illustration, but most preaching in the Western church, and I say the Western church because if it doesn't translate to the world like I said earlier, then you're preaching a Western gospel and it's not the gospel of Jesus. Because see, what mo most Western preaching does is it puts a carrot on a string at the end of a stick that just tempts people and tries to get them uh, and, and motivate them. Actually, it's manipulating them. It's not motivating. Manipulating them into some type of, of, of obedience. But obedience is not the fruit. Obedience is the root. You can obey every commandment that was written on stone tablets at Mount Sinai that Moses handed down and still not recognize that you have eternal life only by and through what Jesus did at the cross. Obedience to rules doesn't save you, doesn't give you righteousness. What Jesus did by His shed blood made you righteous when you believed. Amen. It's good preaching if I say so myself. See, so what happens is then I'll just throw out one. Uh, we, we talk about tithing. We talk about giving. And we preach it one of two ways. We either tell people if they don't give 10%, they're going to die and rot in hell forever. Because we use a scripture out of Malachi that says he won't rebuke the devourer on your behalf. Or we preach it this way and we'll say, well, if you do, by the time you leave the parking lot, you're going to be a billionaire. So we've preached it one of two ways and we dangle a carrot in front of people's face and we want them to obey it because if you obey it, you get this. But if you don't obey it, you're going to get that. Can I tell you that never was for you? That was for the Levitical priesthood, which has passed away. 
And if you really want to preach tithe from Malachi, the third chapter, you're going to have to preach tithes. It says plural. It's 25%. That's not for you. What is for you is to obey the indwelling Holy Spirit that prompts you to give what you have to give. He'll never tell you to give more than you, don't, more than you have. Don't let some preacher get up and persuade you and dangle a carrot in front of your face to manipulate you to give something that God's not put on you. That's good preaching. I'll take that to the bank every day. See, we've created these trappings and these incentives. And we've stopped making Jesus enough. So we say, we say things like this in the church. If you pray hard enough and long enough and loud enough, then God might. Or Then we'll add this. Well, you haven't got what you've asked for and you've been praying for five years. You, you probably need to add fasting to that. See, that's redoubling your efforts, and that's giving people a formula. I'm not preaching against prayer. That's communication with our Father in heaven, who you have direct access through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not preaching that you shouldn't fast. The Holy Spirit can deal with you and tell you what to fast. But here's the problem that I have with fasting. If I'm calling a fast, then it's not a true fast, because Isaiah 58 says that when you fast, brush your teeth, comb your hair, bake your neighbor a cake, and don't tell anybody you're fasting. That's what Isaiah 58 says. See, I didn't get saved to preach. <laughs> I got saved because the goodness of God interrupted my dysfunction. <laughs> and it is the goodness of God, Romans 2, 4, that draws men to repentance. It's not preaching on sin. It's not preaching on behavior modification. Now, I get questions all the time. I get people in my inbox. I get messages and text messages. People want to have conversations with me. You're too soft on sin. No, I'm not too soft on sin. I'm just real big on God. If sin is presented to me, if someone's in something that they shouldn't be doing, because, see, even under grace, Paul still said there's a lot of things that you ought to be doing. Study the word ought. There's a lot of oughts in the Bible that we should be doing even under grace. But the problem is, I, I would just assume, and it's a good assumption to make, that 99.9% .9 of everyone in this building is a believer. And for me to stand up and start preaching on sin, it's going to start making you feel guilty and ashamed. And Romans says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for we've been set free from the law of sin and death. So why should I stand up and preach law and death week in and week out when I can preach Jesus real good, real big, real beautiful, spark some inspiration in your heart that you can live out of the natural flow of the grace of God in your life and you will avoid most of what you had been doing before completely on accident, you'll do more for God than you've ever done on purpose. But you've got to change the way you think. You've got to repent of what you've always believed. That's why Jesus is better. I can't tell you how many messages that I heard growing up that I was filthy, I was low down, I was rotten, I was perverted, I was messed up and jacked up. Anybody heard any of those messages? So when did he stop being enough? We need to stop talking about each other so much and start talking about Jesus. 
if we would spend as much time talking about Jesus as we do Republicans and Democrats and vaxxers and unvaxxers and uh, conspiracies and the government's this and the government's that, and if we would spend as much time talking about how good Jesus is and what Jesus did for us and what Jesus wants to do through us, we could be the vehicle that literally moves the catalyst that thrust America into the greatness that she can have. Not just America, the world. Red and yellow, black and white. We're casting a net. We're not pole fishing like I said a few weeks ago. We are using a drag net to bring up what's on the bottom and bring it to the goodness of God. Hmm, let's talk about Jesus. There's a new song out. Look it up. What's it called, Matthew? Talking to Jesus? Is that it? Yeah. I don't know song titles. My dad was bad about that. He would turn to the worship leader and say, Sing that song about Jesus. <laughs> well, Pastor, which one of the 5,295 songs in my repertoire about Jesus do you want me to sing? <laughs> what if? What if in our churches around the world we just started talking about Jesus how beautiful he is how amazing he is how wonderful and enchanting and wooing he is what if we all we did was talk about Jesus think about it say right now I don't have any other message I don't have any other sermon to bring to you than Jesus when I was talking about the uh, talking about thinking about this message, a song that I have often had ringing in my ears, and when I've been in trials and battles, messed up, jacked up, thought the world was falling in on my head because of the decisions that I would make, I would hear this song ringing in my ears: "Jesus, Jesus, Jesus, sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go." What's that song about? It's about Jesus. What brought peace in the midst of my storm? Jesus. What helped me get through the battles that I was going through? Jesus. What got me through when people turned me away and rejected me and caused me to feel alone? It was Jesus. Peter and John at the gate said, Silver and gold have I none, but has I ha what I have I give unto you. And they gave them Jesus. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. You may not have a lot of things, but what you can give people is Jesus. You can give them the beautiful story of Jesus. You can give them the awe and the wooing and the drawing of His goodness that would cause them to change their mind to what they've always thought God was. Wow. There's another song I like right now. Bethel Worship. Peyton Allen's the worship leader. He sings, Jesus, you're beautiful. There's no one like you in heaven or on earth. Jesus, you're beautiful. Nothing compares to you. Jesus, I love these songs. I love these messages. I love the conversations that people have when they want to talk about Jesus. Hmm. I don't know about you, but Jesus is a whole lot better than I ever imagined him to be. Now, I don't want to argue with you about who the author of the book of Hebrews was, but I believe it was Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit, began to think about what he would write to the Hebrews, those Jews, those Hebrew people who had once been entrapped by the law but that were now coming to Christ. What would he say to them? And he began to think about the rules and the rituals and the ceremonial washings and the feast and all of the sacrifices of the first century Jew and what they had to participate in. They were good, they were right, they were necessary, they were fine, they were even from God. 
for the Jews. But when Jesus showed up on the scene, can I get anybody to help me? Talk about Jesus. When Jesus showed up on the scene, Jesus was better than all the rules. He was better than all the rituals. He was better than all the sacrifices. So I had, you know me, I had to look up that word better in the Greek. In the original language of what was trying to be said, what was Paul saying in Greek when he wrote Hebrews, and he said, better. There's three words that are used 13 different times in the book of Hebrews, and they mean greater, more useful, excellent, and superior. That's the words that he's using when he's writing the book of Hebrews. So can I give you some examples before I close this out of how even from the Jewish culture till the time of the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Christ when he showed up on the scene that Jesus is better that we can bring into our lives and make application. Do you want some examples that Jesus is better? Just nod your head, act like you're awake, tell your neighbor this is good. The first miracle that Moses performed in the Old Testament was turning the water into blood. Think about it. He turns the Nile River into blood, and the result was death. Do you know where I'm going? But the first miracle that Jesus did at the wedding of Canaan of Galilee was to turn the water into wine, which resulted in life. The party started when Jesus showed up. Jesus is better. In the Old Testament, on the first Pentecost, after the children of Israel had crossed through the Red Sea on dry land, 50 days after their escape and their exodus from, uh, from Egypt, after 400 years of bondage, the first Pentecost, 3,000 people die when they arrive at Mount Sinai. But on the first Pentecost, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 3,000 were given life. Jesus really is better. In the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, God told Moses, Take off your shoes, Moses, for you are on holy ground, and I feel God all over me right now. Because in the New Covenant, the prodigal father looks at the son and says, Son, put these shoes on, because you're now worthy to stand in the presence of a holy God. Jesus is always better. Can I talk about Jesus for a minute? In the Old Covenant, the high priest, the priest would stand daily ministering at the altar, giving sacrifice for the sins of the people. Did you hear me? Often they would say, give the same sacrifice day in and day out for the forgiveness of sins of the people. If Todd sinned today, he had to bring an animal sacrifice because without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sin. So the offering was made. If he sinned tomorrow, he brought another lamb. If he sinned the next day, he brought another lamb. So they would make the same sacrifice standing daily at the temple making atonement for the sins of the people. Why were they standing? Because the work was never finished. Because the blood of those lambs and those sacrifices could not forgive their sin and only forgave their sin till their next sin. But can I tell you about a greater sacrifice whose name is Jesus? It says in Hebrews the 10th chapter verse 12 that but when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for the sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? Because his work was finished. Can you get a hold of that? The Old Testament priest stood, stood daily. But Jesus' work was finished. Jesus 
is a better sacrifice. Now, this one <laughs> blew me away. I don't think I've ever seen this. In the Old Covenant, read your Bibles, Exodus, the 28th chapter, the high priests were covered in beauty and in glory. That's what their garments were, beauty and in glory. But on the Day of Atonement, that one time a year, where the high priest took the blood of the goat or the lambs and he put it on the altar of atonement, the mercy seat behind the veil. On that day, he would take off his garments of beauty and glory. Read Exodus 28 if you want to check out what I'm saying. And he would put on plain linen garments. Hold on. He would then walk in behind the veil into the Holy of Holies, place the blood on the altar of atonement. When he was done, he would strip off his linen garment and he would drop it right there at the mercy seat and say, Finished. He would then walk out of the Holy of Holies back into the outer court and he would put on his beauty and his glory, those other garments that he had on. Can I tell you about a greater high priest who stripped off the beauty and glory of heaven? and stepped into this world and became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. See, that beauty and that glory. And He stripped off that beauty and glory, and He went to a cross where He was, bare, he was suspended between heaven and earth naked. Why? Because He took your shame. He took my shame so that you wouldn't have to live in the shame and the guilt of sin any longer. He was wrapped, John the 20th chapter, in linen cloth <laughs> he was placed in a borrowed tomb and three days later when Peter and John came to the tomb it said that Peter got there first and when Peter got there you can check this out in John 20 verse 5 it says stooping down John looked in and saw a pile of linen cloth cloth why because Jesus's work was finished when he stepped out of that tomb, he not only put back on beauty and glory, he arrayed you with that same beauty and glory. Jesus really is better. <laughs> wow, I thought there would be some more amens and some shouting and maybe some people standing on their feet when we talked about Jesus this morning. Jesus is better. Frank, if you guys would come. Hebrews says that Jesus is better than angels. Thank God for angels. I dispatch angels every time my children get in the car. If it had not been for the Lord on my side and the watch care of His angels over our girls two and a half months ago, who knows where we would be. Dispatch his angels have charge over us. But Jesus is greater. Jesus is more useful. Jesus is superior. Jesus is more excellent than the angels. Hebrews, the first chapter, verse 1 says, In various times past we heard through the prophets the voice of the Lord. But in these days we now hear from the voice of His Son. Jesus is better than the prophets. His voice is greater 
than the prophets. Thank God for the stories of the Old Testament and the prophets of old that foretold the coming of the Christ. But the Christ who came is greater than the foretelling by the prophets. Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus is better than Moses, the mediator of the Old Covenant. Because even Moses missed it in one point of the law, and because of missing it in one point of the law, could not cross over to the promised land. But Jesus finished the work once and for all. Jesus is better, better, and He is a better mediator. Jesus is greater than all of my sins. Come on, somebody. Aren't you thankful that He forgave you of all of your sin, past, present, and future? Your sin is under the blood. It's John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away, eradicates, removes the sin of the world. The problem is some people just haven't heard enough about Jesus to know that their sins have been washed. He's better than unbelief. He's better than religion. I got good news for you. He's better than your circumstances. In the old covenant, you had to purchase. I've been to Israel. I've been five times. I was hoping to go back next October, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I'm praying. If you want to go with me, we're going to try to get there. But I've been to Israel five times. The last two times that I've been, we've been able to access the steps on the south side of the old temple that were excavated. And outside on these steps, there looks like, to me, I'll tell you what it looked like. It looked like an empty strip mall in the first century. Little rooms. That's where you would go before you walked up to the steps to the temple and you would purchase your sacrifice. You would purchase your lamb, your two turtle doves, whatever you needed to sacrifice. But can I tell you that the sacrifice of the new covenant does not have to be purchased. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. He said, no man takes my life from me. I lay my life down. The sacrifice of the new covenant, Jesus, is better than the sacrifice of the old covenant. He provided Himself. Jesus is always better. As you stand to your feet this morning, I want to remind you that it's a better covenant that we're under that was bought and paid for with a better blood and it has better promises. So I trust that you were sparked, you were encouraged, you were wooed by the good story, the blessed story, the beautiful story of how good Jesus is. I don't know how to say it other than to say that we live in an evil world. I try not to watch the news because it's discouraging, it's depressing. Most of it's fake just my opinion that's not in the Bible that's just my opinion um, so the world is longing for good news my brother-in-law Fred works in journalism and he said people they, do, they love bad news bad news sells they give a good story every once in a while but it's the bad people are, have been so programmed to receive bad news that it takes 
us, the children of God, to go out and share good news. And I believe if we would really share the good news and not attach any bad news to it, if we would just talk about Jesus, what He's done for me, makes me want to shout. They would begin, it would spread like wildfire. I see, we, we don't take two minutes to talk about Jesus most of the time when we encounter people. I'm, I'm not pointing my finger out there. I'm saying we collectively, 90 time, 99% of the time, for some reason, we, we get lockjaw. We want to talk about Jesus. What I'm not talking about is going out there and trying to shove this thing down somebody's throat. Because that's what we've come into in most places is we've got Bible thumpers. And they're not sharing good news. They're going to tell you how rotten and filthy and nasty and perverted you are. And I'm not saying that there aren't evil, perverted things going on in people's life. But most of the time it's because they've never heard the good news. We've misrepresented. I like what Michael Todd says. Let's represent. Not just represent, but let's represent a good, good Father and a beautiful Jesus and an indwelling Holy Spirit that really does want to change the world. You know how He's going to do it? He's going to do it through us. Jesus really is better. If anybody ever says anything about what kind of preacher is Jamie Wright? You don't tell him, have to tell him he's a good preacher. You don't have to tell him he's a handsome preacher. All you have to tell him is he's a Jesus preacher. I want to be known. I want to be marked down. I want to be categorized in preaching Jesus real big. If I get to heaven and the Father has anything to correct me over, and I don't think He will, son, you preach me too big. You preach me too good. I don't think that's going to happen. We can, we can never exhaust how good God is. How, how much better Jesus is. Man, I... I told my buddy Jonathan in Oklahoma last night, yeah, I have a friends in Oklahoma. Thank God they're cowboys and not Sooners. But Jesus is better than the Sooners, and Jesus is better than the Mountaineers, and Jesus is better than the herd, and Jesus is better than your bank account, and Jesus is better than your divorce, and Jesus is bigger than what's going on in your life. He's bigger, He's better, and he. the good news about all of this is His desires and His intentions towards you are nothing but good. I don't know where you stand today. I don't know what you believe. I'm not here to try to persuade you to believe like I believe. I just want to give you an opportunity to start thinking about how good God is, how big Jesus is, and how much He really wants to affect the world through you. Pastor, that's a big assignment. I, 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 can't, I don't know if I can take on that responsibility. Jesus in you is better. You don't... Gosh, would you just take a look at the people that he picked? I'm looking in the mirror, number one, but Moses said he couldn't talk very good. Do you know Noah was a drunk? David was an adulteress, an adulterer. We could go on and on about the ones he picked. Moses cussed like a sailor. But Jesus handpicked them. He went out and said, follow me. Come follow me. 
That's the echo that I hear today for us. Come follow me. That's as easy as it is. Come and follow him. He really is better. Father, thank you for the word that's been released this morning. I trust that we are become enthusiastic about sharing the good news of who you are. Thank you for the beautiful representation of a wonderful father that Jesus was. And now we are imitators of Christ. As we go out and begin to share the good news of the gospel, may we make it all about Jesus. May Jesus be the central theme of our words. May Jesus be the center of our lives. May Jesus and the cross, Paul said, I glory in nothing save Jesus and Him crucified, buried and risen again. Jesus, I thank You that You are so good that when You came out of that grave and You stripped off your linen clothes and you put back on your beauty and glory that you clothed us with your beauty and your glory and when you ascended Colossians says that we ascended with you and Ephesians says that we are now seated with you in heavenly places that's incredibly good news so from our kingdom heaven perspective we look at this earth and we say we have a lot of work to do as co-laborers with you for the harvest May we share Jesus everywhere we go. With every head bowed and every eye closed in the last minutes of this service. Where are you this morning? Are you a believer? If so, would you pray this prayer with me? Would you say these words out loud with me? Lord, help my unbelief. See, that was for believers. We're going to repeat it again. I believe. So, Lord... Help my unbelief. If you've never placed your faith in Christ and the finished work of the cross, what Jesus provided for you, the Bible tells me that whosoever believes shall have everlasting life. There's not a formula. There's nothing you have to do. There's not a card you have to sign. There's not a preacher's hand that you have to shake. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that He is has risen from the dead and that he is Lord I welcome you into the kingdom of God it's that quick in the twinkling of an eye if you will believe if you're watching us online this morning if you're watching this broadcast later on YouTube or Facebook if you will believe and confess with your mouth this morning that he is Lord you are saved you are a child of God welcome to the kingdom of God Father, I pray that every burden would be lifted. I pray that we'd come to the realization and the recognition that you are better. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you put your hands together and thank God.